We're going to read today from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the shepherd flood by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But who enters by the door is the shepherd. To whom the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his, out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Before they know his voice, a stranger will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay, my, lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You guys ready? This is the word of the Lord. Oh, these kid reading scripture videos are getting better and better. Uh, oh my gosh, there's a map. <sighs> you know, I, I love maps. Maps can sometimes be a little uh, deceiving. So we just talked about the sabbatical announcements, and there was a, a ton of work we had to do putting together, a, you know, a dollar-by-dollar, day-by-day itinerary in order to apply for it. So we spent a lot of time, my wife and my daughter and I, looking at maps, looking at maps of Europe and going, okay, these two towns, are how close are they exactly? Can you drive? Do you have to fly? Like, there's water in between, but is that a problem? I don't know. Uh, it, it's, it's funny. So, you know, you, you look at Google Maps, and you look at a map of the United States, and you're like, yeah, I know how big that is, Right? And then you look at a map of the UK, and you're like, you zoom in, and you go, oh my gosh, it's huge. It's the same size as Michigan. So it's like, here's the US, and he, I mean, we can drive across it in a day, but you're looking at the map going, well, this place is all the way over here, and this place is on the other side of the country. How are we going to get there in one day? Apparently, it's possible because the country's small. Maps are helpful for those sort of things. They're helpful for when you're exploring. 
growing up, we were, I was the oldest of five boys, and we were the kind that would always go exploring without a map. We wanted to go find out where the creeks uh, where they led. We wanted to see if we could find the shoes we lost in the creeks the year before. We wanted to, to just explore, and we did. We had a hard time coming back home because we didn't know where we'd gotten ourselves off to. Most of us, I think when we go exploring as sane adults, we, we tend not to go without maps, right? When, when we go to discover ourselves or go to discover the world or discover whatever it is we travel in order to discover, uh, we tend to follow maps, guides, people who have, have been there before, who have walked that path before, right? Even those of us who say, like, we're going to go out and, and blaze a trail for ourselves, well, we still tend to follow the road that literally someone else blazed. There's this deep desire within us, I think, to, yes, go out and explore, but at the same time to be led, to follow, to follow someone else's path, someone else's way, to follow the example of someone else who shows us, you know, how we can be and what we can be or, or who we can be. I think we all desire to follow. We all long for someone to lead us. We all long to be led. These are the thoughts that were in the back of my mind as I was studying this week, this passage in John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I think he's hitting at our our desire to be led, to be led well. Uh, If you're just joining us this week or you've been off and on the last couple of weeks, we are studying through these I am statements uh, in the Gospel of John. Seven times Jesus says, I am, and then fills in the blank. We've been asking this question, what do you want? What is Jesus getting at when he says, I am the bread of life? He's tapping into our desire to be fed you know, to be full, to feel full. What, what is Jesus getting at when he says, I am the light of the world? He's tapping into our desire to, to see, to understand, to know the world around us. What, what is Jesus getting at when he says, uh, I am the vine? Well, it's because we have this deep need and desire to be connected, to draw life from somewhere. This week, he says, I am the good shepherd, because we want to be led, led well. Not just by any leader. You know, we want maps that we can trust drawn to scale with the trails in the right place. We don't want to follow just anyone. We want to follow a good shepherd, a good leader. So in Jesus' explanation of what a good shepherd does and who a good shepherd is, we see what we really want in a leader, someone that we want to follow. Uh, here's the key idea. If, if you're writing this down, uh, kids or adults, I mean, anybody can write it down. It's the same thing for both. We want a leader. This is what comes out as we look at the Good Shepherd. We want a leader strong enough to fight for us, but soft enough to know us. We want a leader strong enough to fight for us, but soft enough to know us. These two features don't often 
They don't usually, they don't naturally go together, but it's what we want. Our heart's deepest desire is to be led by someone who knows us and who can protect us and fight for us. Jesus says a good shepherd, a good leader is strong and soft. Uh, So turn with me to John 10. Uh, We're going to look at this this good shepherd, strong enough to fight for us, soft enough to know us, to come close to us, to love us. So John 10, picking it up in verse 11. First, we're going to talk about the good shepherd, the one who is strong enough to fight for us. Now, starting in verse 11, it may feel like we are jumping into the middle of the discussion. We're certainly in the middle of the passage that we uh, just heard read. Uh, Just as a reminder, we covered the first 10 verses of this chapter a few weeks ago. Pastor Jeff led uh, led us through it. So I am the good shepherd is the second of two I am statements that Jesus draws from the, the world of um, sheep herding, shepherding, um, sheeping, whatever. Because uh, everyone Jesus talked to in his world either had sheep or knew someone who had sheep. So it is a, uh, it's a world of analogy that's just, there's so much fodder there, right? All right, moving on. So Jesus has just finished a shepherding illustration saying in these first 10 verses, if you want to enter into his sheepfold, into his place of rest, and under his protection, well, you have to come in through the door. You don't climb over the wall like the thief. You come in through the door, and he's the door. He's the access, the gateway, the way into that rest and protection that we all long for. But now he shifts in verse 11 uh, to, to talk about being the good shepherd. Right? He's saying the thief comes to kill and destroy. I came to bring you life. I am the good shepherd, he says in verse 11. Not like the sheep, or not like the thief and those others. I am the good shepherd. And then he goes on to say what a good shepherd does, what a model shepherd, an ideal shepherd does. Second half of verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the good shepherd, or the model, or the ideal, the the noble shepherd is, according to Jesus, the one who is willing to put himself between the sheep and whatever threatens them, even at the risk or at the cost of his own life. In other words, the good shepherd is not the one who shrinks away from fighting for his sheep. No, the good shepherd gets between danger and his sheep. The good shepherd fights for his sheep. Which is the totally opposite uh, attitude from the paid sheep watcher in the next couple verses. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand, right? The person paid to watch the sheep. Uh, The guy who's a hired hand and not the shepherd, not the owner, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Guy flees because he's a hired hand. It's what he does, and he cares nothing for the sheep, which I think is, it's fairly obvious that the hired hand is the person who cares more about the paycheck than the sheep. He cares more about what he's getting paid to watch the sheep than he does about the sheep themselves. (laughs) We all know people who are more interested in getting paid than they are in getting hurt. He's the guy who's basically saying, I mean, what, what good's a reward if you ain't around to use it? 
When I was a kid, I delivered newspapers uh, to make a little bit of money. And it, it was the sort of job where like, you bought the papers from the newspaper company and then sold them to your subscribers. And so the more subscribers you could get, the more money you could make. There was like a direct one-to-one -one correlation there. So I was out like, trying to get more people to subscribe to the Newton Daily News because every paper I dropped off was a few more cents in my pocket. Eventually, we got big enough that I had to employ some of my brothers. That did not go well. I wanted to make sure the papers got on the front step. They were happy if it landed somewhere in the front lawn. I wanted good customer service to retain customers. They kind of thought like, you know, if, if you lose customers, then the backpack gets lighter and the work is easier. See, any of you who have managed a team or you own your own business or you've led employees or you've even just tried to get your kids to care about keeping the house clean, uh, understand how tough it is to, to get people to help, or, or I should say to get people to care as much as you do about the thing you care about, whether it's your sheep or your boats or whatever. So Jesus is, is here saying, look, I, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. I'm, I'm the owner shepherd. I'm not a, not a hired hand. Because the owner shepherd, he looks at his sheep and he loves them, cares for them, wants the best for them. Individually, the hired hand looks at the sheep and he loves what he's paid to watch them and doesn't mind helping himself to a little roast mutton now and then. Because boss isn't going to notice if you lose one, small one. And he's the guy who's out at the first sign of danger. See, the hired hand may be soft. He may be caring. He may be empathetic. He may care about those sheep. But he's not strong, not strong enough to fight for them or protect them. Jesus says the good shepherd is the one who's strong enough to fight for his sheep. And I suppose if we put the question to ourselves in this way of which one would you rather follow, then the answer is fairly obvious, right? We would, we would want to follow the leader, the shepherd who gets between us in danger, who doesn't put us between him and danger, right? We want to follow the shepherd who prays for us, not the one who prays on us. We want the one who's strong enough to sacrifice himself for us, not the one who sacrifices us to serve himself. And Jesus says, I am that good shepherd, the one who's strong enough to fight for you, strong enough to lay down his life for you, if that's what it takes. Now, that's not all, of course. Our good shepherd is not just strong enough to fight for us. He is strong enough to fight for us because he is soft enough to know us. Uh, jump back into the text in verse 14. Jesus repeats himself. He said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? Lays down his life for the sheep. Now, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. What is a good shepherd like? Well, he's the one who knows his own and his, no, his own know him. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. My wife and my, my daughter have um, just huge hearts for little animals. 
which isn't surprising. And so I wasn't surprised when I came home and found out that they had enrolled in an online training session to become uh, kitten foster parents for the Indie Humane Society. I was a little more surprised when I saw the Amazon cart of all the things we needed to buy in order to be kitten foster parents. But what happens is when somebody finds an abandoned litter of kittens, uh, and by the way, you, you all could do this as well. Um, it's free training, and so please, Isabel, who has hit me up for these kittens multiple times, please do this. It will take the pressure off of us to adopt all of the kittens because when somebody finds, you know, a couple of abandoned kittens, they send out an email to the bleeding heart list and then we respond and say, we will take them. Yes, please. And so uh, I, I keep trying to remember exactly how many we have had. I do not know. My daughter knows. She knows exactly how many kittens we have had and she knows their names. She owned them. She named them. She's the good cat herd. <laughs> so on our second batch, we had two nearly identical black and white kittens. They were like all black with little white patches on their foreheads. Uh, one we named Seamus Finnegan and the other we named Chester O'Toole. And when we say we, I mean I, I named them that. My daughter, who actually gets to name them, named them the Sneak and Cutie. And you can tell uh, by the names which one she was more attached to, obviously, Cutie. Well, if a friend of a friend decided he wanted to adopt the ornery, rambunctious one, the sneak, so we were excited. It's good. We don't just want to give the kittens back not knowing where they're going to end up. But when it came time for us to give these kittens back, nobody had claimed cutie. Any of you who follow my wife on Instagram saw all the pleas for someone to please adopt this cute little kitten. We sent them back. No one adopted cutie. Until a couple of weeks later, the friend of a friend posted on Instagram introducing everyone to the sneak, but it was actually cutie. He couldn't tell the difference. But Anna saw the picture and said, that's not the sneak, that's cutie. She knows her own, knows them by name. She's the good cat herd. See, Jesus is the same way. When he says, I know my own, and we think of it in the context of the whole passage, the whole analogy, looking back at verse, verse 3, he describes a, a shepherd as one who calls his own sheep by name. Now, the common practice is that a, a Palestinian shepherd, you know, they have multiple flocks all in one pen. He would go in and he would say like, hey, all y'all that belong to me, follow my voice, and the whole group would come. But when Jesus says, I call my own by name, the implication there is not as a group, but individually. He has names for every single one of his sheep, a unique name. He never gets his sheep confused one for the other. Never forgets their names, never mistakes his sheep for their younger brother or their older sister. Or here's, here's his sheep praying and conf confuses their voice for the voice of one of their parents. He knows us. He knows his sheep. He says, I call my own sheep by their names. I know my own. My own know me. We are currently fostering two kittens found when they were a day or two old. So we spent plenty of time every few hours bottle feeding them. That's another story. Anna named them, and I wrote it down to get it right, Pumpkin Patch Wiestman and Cocoa Bean Wiestman. I call them Fat Gus and the Runt. 
And a few days back when I kept insisting on calling Pumpkin Fat Gus, uh, Anna finally looked up at me in exasperation and said, I'm the one who owns them, Dad. I'm the one who names them. She's the good cat herd. <laughs> cat names, of course, are, are not that big of a deal. But people names, being named, means something to us. If it didn't, we, we wouldn't run into our parents and say, our brother, that kid, our friend is calling me names. Being named means something. It says something about who you are and what your story is, what story you're part of. Right, I'm a, I'm a Wiestman. Uh, that last name comes with it, a long history and a heritage as far back as, as we can understand it. It comes with chapters written by each person who bears that name. It's, it's the story of big families, large parties, a lot of laughter, more beer than is healthy. It's the story of long-held grudges, uh, offenses never forgotten, suppressed emotions, family splits, fierce love that pulls people back together. That's, that's, the, that's the story I was born into. It's the story I'm part of. It's the story that my wife and my daughter and I are trying to write another chapter in, a, a short little chapter with our small family of slow growth of virtue and love over time. But being born into a name or being given a name also gives us a story, a, a place to belong, a mission in life, a direction that life is headed. I mean, you're born into a story as well. You're born into a name. Or you've been adopted into a story, adopted into a new name. Those of us who follow the Good Shepherd, of course, have been adopted into his name. The Good Shepherd, the one who is strong enough to fight for us, is also soft enough to come close to us, to get to know us, to name us, to call us into his story. You think about that. He, he knows you. He knows you. He knows me. He knows everything you've done, everything I've, I am, all the things that I hope for and dream about, all the things that I work for and regret and wish I could take back and hope nobody ever finds out about. He's the good shepherd who's soft enough to be close, to know us, to look at us and say, I know you. I know your name. It's mine. He has an infinite number of ways to call us, to name each of us a variation on beloved. And we've been, when we've been named by the Good Shepherd and called into His mission, His story, uh, we finally find out who we are, 
where we belong, what we're called to do. It's a name, it's a family that the Good Shepherd fights to protect. If you look back at verse 14, I'm the Good Shepherd, I know my own and my own know me. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now, that doesn't mean that we know as much about Jesus as he knows the Father. It means that the the knowing goes back and forth. So our reciprocal back and forth knowledge of Jesus, we know him, he knows us, is in the same style as Jesus' back and forth knowledge of the Father. He knows the Father, the Father knows him. I, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my sheep. I fight for my sheep he says, and my sheep know me. See, we don't, we don't just want a, a shepherd or a leader who, who fights for us but doesn't care about us. And we don't want a shepherd or a leader who cares about us but can't actually lead us or protect us, or fight for us. We want a, a shepherd who is both strong enough to fight for us and soft enough to know us. We want a shepherd whose heart is open to who we are, but strong enough to help us become what we're supposed to be. And Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. I am the shepherd you're looking for. But he goes on to surprise them a little bit because he's no parochial shepherd over a small group. He, he's in, in verse 16, what he says next, he says to a group of, of Jews, and he says this about Gentiles, who are the people, remember, that Jews feel are unclean and unworthy of God's love. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I, by the way, have other sheep that are not of this fold I need to bring them also. They will listen to my voice as well. There will be one flock, one shepherd. He says, I know my sheep. I, I know my sheep more than you do. And we'll maybe be a little surprised when we meet the other sheep someday. Our hearts, one of our hearts' deepest desires is to be led to be led well, to know that we are following someone we can trust, someone who is strong enough to fight for us, but soft enough to know us, to love us, to come close to us. That's, we can't not want to be led. And when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he shows us exactly what kind of a leader we're all longing for. Let's put the key idea back up on the screen. We want a leader strong enough to fight for us, but soft enough to know us. We all want a good shepherd. And all of our desires for a good shepherd are really our desire for the good shepherd, for Jesus to lead us. So let's, uh, let's bring it home uh, for us, you know, a couple of ideas in the Okay, what do we do with this realm? Two questions. First, of course, we're talking about leadership. So who are you following? Who's, who's the good shepherd to you? 
I mean, if it's true that we all want to be led, then we're all following something, someone. So who are you following? Who names you? Who tells you who you are? Who, who's the one who tells you what story you're part of, who gives you a mission, a direction in the world? Who defines for you what a good and successful life looks like? Because even if you're, you're listening and you're thinking, okay, but no, I'm the one who defines my story. I define my life and the direction in which it goes. I get to choose. I can almost guarantee you, we should talk about it afterwards, but I can almost guarantee you that you are adopting some story that is external to you as the model on which you are building your life. Whether it's the pursuit of a profession or of freedom or whatever it is you're pursuing, there's some some authority outside of you that's telling you that's the thing that's valuable. Go after that. Of course, whatever that authority is, if you stop going after it, it stops going after you. If you stop following it, it's, it may be strong, strong enough to, def- to fight for you, to, to, to tell you what to do, but not soft, not soft enough to know you. So who are you following? That's the question. Have you found a good shepherd? Have you found the good shepherd? It's only in Jesus that we'll find someone who is both strong enough to fight for us and soft enough to to know us. So who are you following? And the follow-up question, are you becoming like the one that you're following? As as people who follow the Good Shepherd, we should probably learn to become more like our Good Shepherd, both strong and soft. Of course, it's easy to emphasize one over the other, to be strong but hard, courageously committed to what's right but unkind, unfeeling, unempathetic. Or, you know, on the other hand, we... We can be soft, but weak. Soft, we're caring, we're compassionate, we're empathetic. Uh, Anybody who needs comfort comes to us, but we never have the courage to say, and here's what you need to do, here's what's next, here's what's true. It's easy to be one or the other, and, and we need to grow in modeling ourselves after the Good Shepherd. That doesn't mean getting better at the one you're already better at and ignoring the other. It means getting better at both, being both strong and soft. If you're naturally strong, adding softness. If you're naturally soft, adding strength. <laughs> Which way do you lean? Are you a lover or a fighter? Are you a truth teller? or a feeling feeler. I was in a situation recently where I was called to both deeply care for a couple of friends uh, while also courageously calling them to come down on the side of biblical truth, which could potentially cost them something. And man, I kept going back and forth, back and forth between just wanting to say, here's the way it is, deal with it, or saying, well, let's, let's continue to talk. Let's tell me what you're thinking and where you're coming from. And, and the only reason, 
I was able to navigate both of those is because of leaders on both sides of me saying, don't forget to be compassionate. Don't forget to be courageous. The good shepherd, as we follow him, is calling us to grow in both strength and softness. So, hey, what about you? I don't do this very well. I'll freely admit it. Uh, but I'm learning. What can we learn from the good shepherd who is both? Well, we're over time, so we should wrap this up. There's one, one author who wrote on this passage, it just something that grabbed me. Because he, he's wrestling with the nuances of Jesus' strength and his softness and saying, how do you translate the word good in a way that is both strong and comforting? And he suggested that, that perhaps we should translate this phrase something more like the beautiful shepherd. Because we all know people who are good and are happy to rub our faces in it. They have that austere aloofness that comes with moral uprightness. But that's, that's not Jesus. That's not the good shepherd. He is not just good, but beautiful. He is, he is so good, so strong, so soft, so loving, so kind, so courageous, and so confident that his sheep are drawn to follow him. They're drawn to his beauty and want to follow a shepherd like that. And I think, so do we. Let's pray. Throughout the Old Testament, Father, you have pictured yourself as a shepherd and us as sheep. We are deluded, unintelligent, smelly, stinky, disobedient sheep. And you call yourself our shepherd. Father, as we run to and fro over the fields looking for a good shepherd, I pray that, that the good shepherd, the one you told us of and hinted toward in all of those stories in the Old Testament, but who became man and became real right in front of us in Jesus. I pray that the good shepherd would so draw us to him that we cannot but help to be led. We pray this in the name of our good shepherd. Amen.